Hello, everyone, and welcome to One for All, another episode where we rewatch and review the anime My Hero Academia. As always, I am your host, Annabeth, and I am joined today on this very hot day with my wonderful co host, Nancy. And yes, it, it is a very warm day. This week, this week of weeks, Deku is on the scene as we take a look at season four, episode 12, Unforeseen Hope. What do you remember about this episode? So this is the episode where, if you recall, at the end of episode 11, Deku rushed in, basically, to save the day. Deku rushes Um, in. And it basically, I do remember it starts this big event, but the event doesn't wrap up in this episode. It goes on to the next one as well. So it is big. (laughs) Yeah, this arc is an interesting one because its low moments, I think, are kind of really low in a way that some of the previous seasons aren't. But their high moments are really high. Yeah. And I feel like the last couple episodes of this arc, the first half of the season, are really high points. Not just within season four, but all of MHA. Oh, yeah, I agree. So you got something to look forward to as we dip in and take a look. If you're watching along with us, now would be the time for you to turn on your TV. Turn on to Crunchyroll, Hulu, Funimation. They're not sponsored. You don't have to go to them. They might have DVDs They might have. Point. They might have DVDs. Or Blu-rays. Or Blu-rays. We're saying DVDs dating ourselves over here. Oh, I know for sure now. As someone that has curated an anime collection for a library, so many anime TV shows... The only option you have to buy is either the combo Blu-ray DVD box set or Blu-ray box set. It is very difficult to buy just DVDs in a lot of cases. And that's kind of annoying. It is. It also, I think, goes to show how much the DVD is probably dead over in Japan. Yeah. It, to me, watching creating this collection really signaled to me that anime people, you, my fellow anime people... We tend to watch anime streaming, and the people that tend to buy the physical media are collectors or people buying a favorite show specifically. So having that cheaper DVD option... Isn't what you're looking for. Exactly. Unless you're a library. (laughs) And are looking to create a small curated collection of anime for people trying to try something new. So... To take that one more time, now would be the time to go to your media source, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. watch the episode, and then come back here in a little bit to hear our rewatch analysis, da 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 da, and find out who the plus ultra character of the week is. We're going to jump right in. See you soon. And we're back. There is a kickoff to this episode, which is basically the kickoff to every anime episode previously on. Yes, we get a a recap where we see Mirio uh, very much in trouble, all stabbed with spikes. But he's still going to fight, but it doesn't look good for him. And then Deku arrives fist flying. Yep, and we actually don't get to pick up right into the action because we're going to have a flashback. Um, we actually get a flashback to, you know, Deku and Night Eye and Eraserhead dealing with Mimicry. Yep, Mimicry. They want to know where the League of Villains are, and he's crazy. Yep, he does not like the League of Villains. Just this, the mere mention of them throws him into a rage. He doesn't want to deal with Twice or Himiko. Mimicry is just pissed. And ultimately it's decided that the cops are going to go after the League of Villains 
and that the heroes are going to go continue to go ahead and face off with Overhaul. And it's actually Rocklock that sort of motivates them to make this decision. He yells at them, basically. Yeah, he's like, you know, a lot of people have made a lot of sacrifices to get this far, but we're here for that girl. Like, we can't sit around dicking around talking about the League of Villains. Like, leave them to the police, go chase after Mirio, save the day, do the thing. Mm-hmm. And as Deku's running running off, he's like, I'll get her out, Mr. Mm-hmm. Rocklock, I promise. Yeah, and now it's like when we finally get some sort of character revelation about Rocklock, which is he admits that basically he has a new baby in his life. Um, he specifically says that he has a younger wife. I don't know why it needs to be specified that she's younger. Maybe Rocklock is actually older than he's drawn as. And he mentions that there's a new baby in his life, so as a result, he's very protective around kids also biracial couple yes um which i think is is fantastic Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily what i was expecting the first time i was watching it Mm -hmm. and like this came up but that's awesome though the the wife does make a joke that their kid looks a lot like him and it looks like the genetics were pretty skewed in one direction but that is all we see of rock lock that is it for rock lock because we have to basically we have a lot more to cover in this episode and we have to follow our heroes and also check in on the league of villains who are actually really close by oh yeah they're like right there basically we have toga and twice basically trying to figure out what they are going to do i love how twice is like do we kiss now uh which i thought was really funny i don't to think about them and the idea of them as a couple because i feel like twice would be down for it but i also feel like twice is maybe like an adult male and i do not know how old himiko is like she wears the school uniform but is she actually a child i don't i don't get the impression that she's actually a child yeah like part of me wants to say it's sort of like a holdover for something in her youth or something like that but Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> that's not really what's going on right now. Yeah, don't um, know for sure. If you know, let us know. Yeah, um, if, we, if you can come up with, like, an age. So I can know if I can ship them without it being weird. <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to be weird because they're weird. Because they're weird. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. There's very clear, like, affection between them. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot between the League of Villains in, in general. In general. But, but she calls him Jin. She mm-hmm. doesn't call him twice. Yeah. Like, they're on a more personal relationship status whatever Mm -hmm. that happens to be they're close but twice has an idea that we don't get to hear he whispers it to toga and Mm -hmm. she gets all tickled pink about it yeah she's really excited and it's right after how much she talks about she how much she hates overhaul and basically what it ends up being is they're gonna drive the heroes and the yakuza together and have them sort of take each other out yep they're very jazzed with this plan. And then we immediately zip back to the fight at hand where Deku punches Overhaul straight in the face. And it's a very satisfying moment. I am not going to lie. Because it really hurts him, which is nice. But as they get in, they take stock of the situation. Night Eye specifically takes mm-hmm. stock of the situation and sees that Mirio has beaten the ever-living hell out of like four villains plus Overhaul mm-hmm. and is a badass. But he is down for the count. Yeah. He's not looking good. And Eraserhead very smartly erases Overhaul's quirk. Thank the, you, Eraserhead. <laughs> there is a really touching moment with Night Eye and Mirio where he goes and he catches Mirio from falling down and he tells him that he was amazing. And... Mirio's like, Aerie's right behind me. Like, we gotta get her out of here. It's very clear in this scene, and it's come up a couple times, how much Nine-Eye cares for Mirio. More than just a ward. This is an important person in his life. And, I mean, he's his responsibility. He's someone that he has taught, you know, for quite a while now. So it makes sense that during that time, a bond would emerge. 
However, not everything is going perfectly, despite the fact it looks like Overhaul is going to be routed here mm-hmm. because he yells at his accomplished Chrono to wake up and he nearly skewers both Eraserhead and Deku with like a claw. Yeah, it's not really clear at this time at least, what he skewers them with or tries to skewer them with. But ultimately, Eraserhead kind of knocks Deku out of the way, and Eraserhead is the only one that gets injured. But that turns out to be really bad, because whatever he injured Eraserhead with, it basically slows him down. I thought when he mentioned that, I'm like, oh no, now he can't fight. No, 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 he can't even like blink and use his quirk as a result of that. So as a result, all of the quirks have been unerased. Yeah, Deku doesn't realize everything that's going on. He's charging in to fight Overhaul again, and there's this really great scene of Eraserhead falling and being like, I'm going to blink. I can't stop myself from blinking because I'm Mm -hmm. falling and everything is slow and weird. Uh, And the second that he blinks, Overhaul knows that he can attack again. Nearly completely skewers Deku with spikes. Is very bad. He is saved by the iron soles of his feet. Yeah. Um, and like with these spikes, pretty much everyone is, you know, pushed away, including Night Eye, who takes care of Mirio and Aerie. And it gives Overhaul basically some time to, to regather himself and also another person. Yeah, he absorbs the confession guy. Yeah, Nomoto, um, who sort Gross. of. He collapses in front of him, and Overhaul was like, oh, yes, a willing victim to my cause. Overhaul's awful. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. He, he disassembles this person and takes his flesh as part of himself. Yeah. And becomes truly monstrous. A body that really, I think, reflects him as a character much better than his, his normal form. Yeah. Like, before he was just sort of this, you know, he looked kind of badass with his mask and his coat and everything like this. But now he looks like someone out of a horror movie, like a creature out of a horror movie. And in this moment, he does admit to Mirio that, you know what, you were a better fighter than I was. But now things are obviously a little different. Yeah, you've lost your fucking quirk forever. And this is the first time that Night Eye and Deku realize what has happened and they are both shocked and horrified Mm -hmm. and there's a little actually a little bit of a side scene as the sort of the dust settles from this explosion basically um where we get a brief scene with chrono and eraserhead and chrono has eraserhead completely pinned down which is probably unnecessary because eraserhead can't move this scene is kind of weird like it's almost like sexual in a way it's just it's weird but he basically talks about you know he has such an attractive quirk and he wants to basically recruit eraserhead you know, against his will um, to the cause, which is, is, is not, it's creepy. It's very creepy. They, they want to do like genetic experiments so that mm-hmm. they can copy Eraserhead's quirk yeah. to other people. There's also an undercurrent here, like within this fight specifically, where Overhaul, this is the end of last episode too. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll cure people like you when he talks to, to Mirio. Mm-hmm. And he's not talking about heroism. He's talking about quirks. Yeah. It's the whole reason that he is developing this drug is to get rid of quirks and return the world to the status quo. And there is, I know that there is a, a larger like talking point within the fandom about quirks being like a genetic mutation or disease mm-hmm. that mutates over time. And that's why people get more powerful. Like mm-hmm. every successive generation yeah, makes sense. becomes more powerful. So it's interesting to see that reflected in Overhaul, who's like quirks are a sickness that needs to be cured. Yeah. And we also get a bit of a reflection from Chrono. And we learn more about his powers, where basically he, cre- he can extend these clock hands and they can slow people down, which is useful. But he also reflects about 
you know, Eri is the old Yakuza boss's granddaughter. So the fact that Chisaki is willing to use her really shows how he is willing to do anything to get what he wants. And sort of appropriate this moment, we cut back to Overhaul in his new monstrous form. Yeah, Night Eye is determined to have Deku take Eri and Mario out of the fight while he fights with Overhaul. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a reasonably good job. Oh yeah, he's a good fighter. He's using his future sight to predict Overhaul's moves mm-hmm. uh, and avoid getting hit by those d- terrible hands. We also get a Night Eye flashback here where he talks about why he doesn't look super far into the future, which... This discussion has been hinted on several times, but never said quite so explicitly. Yeah, like, it's actually, we get, like, flashbacks within flashbacks. Like, we have flashbacks of him remembering training Mirio, and then we have flashbacks of him with All Might, and sort of the moment where he saw All Might's future, and saw that All Might was going to die. And then we have a flashback within that flashback of him speaking with Gran Torino, and him saying basically that, you know, I don't really know that when I saw that future, did I see All Might's future or did I lock it in place? Because whenever I see futures like this, that's it, basically. Like that they always turn out that way. He points out that he's tried many times to avoid a future that he's seen, but time always corrects itself. It always goes to that spot as if it's predetermined. And so he is super concerned that in reading people's futures, he is taking away their free will. And if they die, he's the one condemning them to death, which is a terrifying thing to think about. And he would have really no way of knowing if you think about it, because if what he saw always came true, then what is the cause? Is it fate or is it him sort of locking things into place? So I can understand why he would feel that way. So as he's fighting, you know, everything like that, we also get flashes of Deku Mirio and Eri trying to escape trying to escape and including Deku busting through a wall like it's nothing yeah it's very cool but before they can even leave the room Naya gets impaled by spikes because here's the fun thing about prediction and future sight is even though Naya can see the future and he is very fast and a capable fighter, he still needs to be fast enough to avoid whatever is about to hit him Mm -hmm. and he's just not as fast as the room changing shape. Pretty much. And this happens around the time that, you know, Aerie is sort of flashing back on the idea of that whenever people help her, basically, that they get hurt. So that is a way to sort of cement her guilt and the guilt that she feels. I think it's interesting that guilt is an emotion that is so often surrounding Aerie. We have Deku and Mirio who feel guilty because they weren't there to help her when they could have earlier in the season. And now we have Aerie feeling guilty because she feels like whenever someone tries to help her, that they end up getting hurt, which definitely doesn't really make her want to escape because she is convinced that it will only result in more people being hurt. And then you have Overhaul, who should feel guilty for all the horrible things that he's doing to this child, but never does. But he doesn't. And unfortunately, the the real scary moment moment for Night Eye here as he sits impaled and Mirio and Eri leave and Deku stays Mm -hmm. to cover their escape is that Night Eye sees Deku's death. Yeah, pretty much. We see sort of like that film strip in his mind and we see Deku fighting, but before we can see how that ends, there is a wash of blood and the film strip cuts off. And there's nothing he can do about it. He's stuck on spikes, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a real bad time. But Deku ain't leaving. No, and not only that, but not only has he arrived ready to fight, but he has arrived with more power. Uh, An overhaul notices this right away and 
Deku reflects to himself that he is all the way up to 20% right now with One for All, which I feel like whenever Deku is able to control more of the power, it is very a very satisfying moment. It is, and it's hard for him. He, he points out that he can do it, he can move, but his body feels like it's buckling under how much power is coursing through him. Oh yeah, and as he's like, you know, sort of all charged up and fighting and stuff like that, pieces like of his gloves are like bursting off of him and stuff like that. Like it is clear that he is doing his best to tap into the power, but it is pretty much tearing him apart. Yep, and it's not enough. Like, he sets up a really great Manchester smash, but Overhaul is able to avoid it because as fast as Deku is, far faster than Mirio or Night Eye is, he is very angular in the way that he attacks, and therefore Night Eye is able to predict where he's going to be and where he's going to hit. And Night Eye is no slouch in physical combat. And neither is Mirio, as we just saw. And... I think they did it really well with the show because you see this moment where Deku charges up and you see him like think to himself that, oh my God, I need to hit him. I can't just hit him over and over again because he's just going to heal himself. So I need to take him out in one big hit, basically. And you see him come down from like the ceiling with this giant kick and you think for a moment that he's hit him, but he didn't. It was almost like, oh God, here's the big ending movement, episode over. But no, it wasn't enough, which was a very surprising moment for me when I first watched this. It it is. And it's also a moment that Deku pays for. Yeah. He gets impaled with spikes and it is not great. You see him covered in blood, just like the flash flash forward. (laughs) Yep. Just like the film strip, which isn't great. We get a flash sideways mm-hmm. to, to Mario, to and, Mario Ari. <laughs> to, and Ari, who Mario is not is, doing great. He's not doing great. He's and, doing his best to sort of lean Ari in a retreat, but he is basically dragging himself across the ground while holding his hand. And eventually he just collapses and he's like, you know what, Ari, you just need to hide. Like running is not an option right now, but don't worry. There are dozens of people coming to help you. And that is not what Ari wants to hear. Yeah, because she's afraid they're all going to die. And And Shisaki uses this moment basically to take advantage of that guilt. Yeah, and here's a really interesting thing that I didn't think of the first couple times I watched this. Mm -hmm. The mouth that he manifests on his hands uses his underling's power. Mm -hmm. In devouring other people, he can use their quirks, which is... Kind of scary. It's kind of scary. It's also interesting that that puts him on a power level that's similar to All for One. It does. It's just used in a very gross way. As, you know, as Anna mentioned that he creates a mouth on his hand and he uses that mouth to mock Ari and say, you know, basically you need to come back or all these people that are trying to help you are going to die. And of course she does, which ends up being a very important decision. Yeah, she comes back... And she she makes a dark bargain, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'll go back with you, but put these people back the way that they were. I know you can do that. And I think he's actually down for that, Mm -hmm. for the most part. Just to be like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to Deku, and he's like, see, Mr. Man? Like, there was nothing you could do here. She didn't want to be saved. Like, this is the worst kind of thing you could ever do for her is give her hope. Yeah. And And Night Eye even seems to confirm this, because he mentions, like, hey, you know, I have seen the end to this. I die, you die, and Overhaul gets away. And Deku don't care. Nope. He, he defies this. He says he's going to twist the future. He's going to twist the future. He tells Aerie, you're crying, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't leave you here. Yeah. I got to keep fighting. And that's when the ceiling comes down. And all the girls that are fighting Overhaul's wackies outside arrive right there. <laughs> just like last episode, there is a break of cement and mm-hmm. then a bunch of people show up. Yeah, pretty much. 
much. Bit of a cliffhanger. And that's the end of the episode. And no post-credit scene this week. Nope. Got to wait until next week. I mean, technically you don't have to, but we did. But yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll be back at this next week. If you want to watch the next episode now, you can do that. What do you think about the episode? This is a great episode. The stakes are so high. The action is so high. Emotions are so high. We have like real permanent character injury. We know now that Mirio's powers are gone. Night Eye has been like so impaled that he looks like he's, you know, pretty much dead at this point. And even Deku doing his normal thing when he's in trouble where he somehow manages to grasp a greater control of his powers isn't enough and everything seems hopeless and then the ceiling crashes in (laughs) it is a really exciting episode and it definitely drives home how serious things are and also what a bastard overhaul is yeah i think this is an episode that also cements how powerful he is it's always been alluded to throughout the series as you talk to his underlings and the things that he can do or has done Mm -hmm. but we've never really seen him have to flex before and really push himself he's got to push himself this episode and he's fucking scary yeah absolutely and it's a really good episode uh do you have a plus ultra character of the week it's a hard one it is a hard one um hmm see i'd like to say deku but i don't feel like he did he did well enough to to be warranted Mm -hmm. his plus ultra character of the week night i got impaled yeah and mirio collapsed in the hallway outside and Aerie wasn't even able to run away. Do we give it to Rocklock for inspiring everyone to greatness? I am, this is going to be weird, but I'm probably going to have to give it to Overhaul. Um, because with everything that everyone has thrown at him that would have taken down a much lesser villain, like Mirio, Night Eye, Deku, like leveling up and like controlling one for all at a higher percentage we've ever seen him controlling it before. Nothing was able to take him down. He was able to sort of successfully level up by destroying his body basically by you know taking on a minion and you know completely reforming into this new form which healed him too which healed him as well and i don't think it's going beyond in a good way but i think he had the most impressive performance of the episode i will agree with that for sure i think one of the things that really gets me about overhaul as we talk about him and we see the full extent of his capabilities what a waste like there is a man who could have been an er surgeon and saved so many lives and been well-loved and respected. Or he could have been a rescue hero and using these powers basically in cases of natural disasters to put things back together. There is so much possibility here, but instead he's using it for pain and suffering, basically. Yeah, he's a petty crime lord. His ability to heal himself, put other people back together, heal them, like repair structures. Like like what an amazing Mm -hmm. quirk. And he's a petty thug pretty much a smart thug but a petty thug and we know that he has the intelligence to do medicine Mm -hmm. and science like he's not a dumb flunky he's able to inspire loyalty from so many people like if his life would have taken a different path i feel like he could have done so much good with his powers i think that overhaul is a really interesting discussion point on how unequal opportunities do a disservice to human beings, like in general. And granted, mm-hmm. MHA is a piece of fiction. Yeah. And it is a fantastical piece of fiction at that. But the lessons inherent in Overhaul's story are true in the real world as well. For people and where they come from and how they get stuck 
left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, some people turn into monsters that just use other people. Uh, like poor Aerie. We didn't even talk about it. There's a little bit of a flashback to Aerie when she's being, like, experimented on. And it's very vague and we don't really see all that much, which is a good thing because I feel like it's only so dark a show like this should go when it comes to kids. And sort of the extent that he has put this tiny child through is terrible. Yeah, the implication is they've pushed her to basically death. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to put her back together so they can do it again. Yeah. Which is horrifying. Yeah. But that is the episode for the week. We're nearing the end of this portion of season four. Yeah, I think we have like one more episode for like the big stuff. And then wrap up. And then we have like a wrap up episode. And then we'll do our own wrap up episode for this particular The double stuff. The double stuff episode. But with that, if you want to discuss Overhaul and his horrifying, terrible self, uh, you can do so over on Twitter at OneForAllCast. We'd love to chat with you there. You can also find us and our various projects over on Twitter. I'm at IncidentallyAnna. And I'm at WatchNancyTweet. Now, if you enjoy this show, if you love it, if you tune in week to week, we would love for you to leave us a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. We know that not all places do that. That's totally fine. But if you can spare a minute to drop a rating or review, it would be appreciated. It really helps us out a whole bunch, and it's the easiest thing you can do to support the show. Now, don't forget as well, Nancy writes them books, including that hero fiction. Where can they find your work? You can find both the Red and Black series and the Twin Kingdom series on Amazon. I have an ebook version, paper book versions, and a version on Kindle Unlimited if you happen to be subscribed to that subscription service. Check it out. Now, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who listens week to week. We see our numbers. We know you return like clockwork to listen to this podcast. So thank you so much. Additionally, thank you to Richard DaCosta for our opening and ending credits. As always, they are very wonderful. And of course, a very special thank you to my co-host, Nancy, uh, who is here to discuss fiction with me and outside of the actual recording of this podcast, politics. Mm. Um, Because the world is a terrible place. It's been a complicated week. Thank God you're going to hear this weeks in advance from now. You don't know what we're talking well, about. Yeah, months. It could be anything. Yeah, but um, yeah, let's just say it has been an eventful one. Now, next time we're going to dive into Season 4, Episode 13, Infinite 100%. We'll see you then. See you then.